continue our 40 days of prayer with our focus being on reawakening our own hearts and our worship to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today our focus is on the ascended Christ, on the ascension of Christ. So we read in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by him. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love the the genuineness and the authenticity of the scriptures. Um, no one else could have known exactly what happened in that day except for those who were eyewitnesses present. And yet when they portray themselves, they do not portray themselves as people who have it all together. They portray themselves as people who struggled to understand the unexpected twists and turns of Jesus' life and his ministry. Their expectation, they've been with the Lord for 40 days after his resurrection, so their expectation is now he's going to do what they long for him to do, and that is to set up the kingdom, to set up a, a, a geographical time space, kingdom, right there, right now, you, you can see they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand by, the, by even the question that they're asking and then by the fact that they just, they just sort of stand there. Now, a lot of times we focus on verse 8 where it speaks of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Father, and we speak of the commission that's given to them to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, but we don't we don't put the emphasis as much on the actual ascension and glory that it shows of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I I want to I want to unpack that with you today. When we speak of the finished work of Christ, which this is this is what we're putting our faith in. Our faith is in the finished and accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we generally think in terms of his cross, of the cross, because we're focused on the fact that he pays our debt, that he substitutes for us in order to make atonement for us. And then we we focus on the resurrection from the dead because the resurrection is the guarantee of the acceptance of the Father that the debt is paid. The living Christ, a resurrected Christ, is the receipt for the debt of our sins being paid. And certainly that's at the very heart of Jesus' work of redemption. But the scriptures include this event which took place 40 days after the resurrection. 
the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an importance here, not only for doctrine and for the doctrine of our salvation, but there's a practical, there's some very practical, important things here that have implications for your life and for mine. So one of the people that I listen to a lot, read a lot, is Tim Keller. And he has a a book called Encounters with Jesus, Unexpected Answers to Life's Biggest Questions. And he argues that the the ascension of Jesus and understanding the ascension is crucial but often overlooked aspect of the work of Christ. Now here's what he says. It makes an enormous difference. The ascension, when understood, becomes an irreplaceable, important resource for living our lives in the world, and it's a resource like no other religion or philosophy of life holds out for us. Now, here's some of the theological reasons why the ascension can be such a powerful and practical uh, cornerstone of your life, place that you hold on to foundationally. So here here is one of those big theological truths. Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully man. There's never been anyone like him. He's unique. He is the God-man. And the ascension reveals that at this moment, uh, he has taken his place as the new king, and as the head of the whole human race. He is the rightful king. He is king by right of all human beings. Here's what Keller says. Now, if Jesus merely wanted to return to the Father, he could have just vanished. There were other times when he vanished immediately out of sight, as with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But instead, at the ascension, Jesus literally rises up into the clouds and disappears into the distance of the heavens. Why did he do it that way? Here's what Keller says. We can only speculate, but it may have been for the same reason that we have a coronation ceremony. Jesus is being crowned king. In in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, Paul puts it in this way. He says, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. This is, this is the language of, uh, of the Roman conqueror, the Roman Caesar, the, the emperor entering into Rome, bringing the the defeated foes himself you know being being uh, given a public spectacle for his triumph and and the ascension is in fact a, a picture of the public spectacle of Jesus's defeat of the works of the devil of Jesus's defeat of the debt of sin of Jesus's defeat of the grip of death over us and as he rises up, it's as the, the new king and the new ruler of the world and of the human race. And he's being crowned king of kings. 
and Lord of Lords. And the enemy, Satan and all his demons, are being put on public display that they have been defeated. Secondly, and this is, uh, this is probably one of the most important practical points of this, in the, in the ascension, Jesus, though f- continuing to be fully man and fully God, he leaves the limitations of only being able to be in one place at one time and only able to be in one time at one time. And he passes into the realm of heaven and he passes into the presence of the Father. No longer is he limited to one spot at one moment. You see, prior to that, the only way that you could speak to Jesus, the only way that you could relate to Jesus was to be in the same place as Jesus or for Jesus to be in the same place as you. But now, at the ascension, Keller writes it this way, he says, Jesus leaves the space-time continuum passes into the presence of of the Father. He is still fully human, still our second Adam. That's the theological language of the new covenant, that Jesus undoes the curse of the original disobedience and sin of the first Adam. He becomes our second representative who brings not only the, the, the payment of the debt of sin, but also gives to our account his own perfect righteousness. So the one who is now passed into the realm of the Father is the representative that Adam should have been, but Jesus really is. He's the righteousness of God seated at the right hand of the Father. He's your righteousness, your obedience seated next to the Father. And there he is able because he has passed out of the space-time you know, limitations, he is able to be our advocate. But the, the thing that um, kind of blows my mind in a way is he is now fully glorified humanity. So he's able to do everything that he does, not in a limited scope, but in a cosmic scope. Any limitations that he experienced in this life, in this world, have now passed away. And so Jesus, the scripture says, this this glorified Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the conquering hero, now sits at the right hand of the Father, mediating. There is no other mediator between God and man, but the man, Jesus Christ, the scripture says. The glorified Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings, is mediating for you. That's the work he's doing right now. And he's mediating for every believer. Thus then, this ascension is critically important, not just an abstract, nice teaching. And it has some implications for how you and I should live our life. So here's three vital implications. Here... Because of who he is and what he has done and how he has passed beyond this space and time limitation, the ascended Christ is available to every believer for loving, 
communication, friendship, fellowship. He is supremely personal, but he is also eminently available. This is, this is an awesome truth. I, I, I know this may sound strange and maybe you've never done this, but I've had people talk to me saying, you know, I don't really want to bother Jesus with my problems. He's got bigger things to do. You see, that's because they don't understand the ascension. Not understanding the ascension, they see him as having to divide his time, discipline his mind, do all of these different things, when in reality, the glorified ascended Christ can handle all things at once because he's not bound, he's not limited by time and space. And yet, his commitment and his character is supremely personal. So he wants friendship with you. Um, I know this is a silly illustration, but I teach uh, classes down at Nia College in Manhattan. And every time I, I go, I always, I always, you know, I have a great communication with Jesus all the way to, to, uh, to Nia College. But I also always go, Lord, would you would you provide for me a parking space? And when I first started going down there, I really, uh, you know, I was uh, not really knowledgeable of where I could park or whatever else. But I, I was also at one wanting a free parking space. And I remember praying and saying, Lord, I don't really know exactly where to go for this. And I kind of looked around different blocks around the school at the time. And I started to, to realize that I liked going in a little bit early so I could prepare for my class. And I, and I came across the street, and, I, and again, I was praying, I was seeking the Lord, friendship with God, intimacy with the Lord. And I said, you know, I need a parking space. And there's this one place where every day at four o'clock, it switches to being public from being, you know, restricted. And on this day I was praying, I found this one spot so that the, for the rest of the semester, I would be able to go there at four o'clock and I would always get a parking spot and I would be able to walk to, to class and it was always free. Now, it's a small thing, but it was incredibly intimate that he cared about my safety, my security, about my well-being, about being ready for class, all of those things. And it did not take his attention away from dealing with the big problems of the world while he was fully attentive to the little problems that I had. Only an ascended Christ can do that. Now, not only is he supremely personal, this passage, this ascension of Jesus recognizes or helps us to realize that he's supremely powerful. As the ascended king, he is sovereign over every part of the created order. Here's what Keller argues, but it's, it's really straight out of scripture. He controls all things for the church. You know, this is so important that we begin to understand God doesn't just look at us individually. He sees us as a corporate reality. We are, his, we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. But because our sovereign is the bridegroom, 
you can realize that you can face anything in the world with peace in your heart because the one who loves the church is at the right hand of God. And he is the executive director of history. He's directing everything for the benefit of the church. Keller says, if you belong to him, then everything that happens ultimately happens for you. Everything that happens, happens for you. Now, will you understand everything that happens? Well, the disciples, the apostles, they didn't understand. Look at this story about the ascension. They're asking him, aren't you going to establish your kingdom right now? Do you realize that the Lord so loved you, he could not establish his kingdom at that moment? You would not have existed. You would not have known the love of God. You would not have had life. So the Father had already planned for you to experience life, his love, relationship with Christ. He'd already planned that. So he could not establish the kingdom then. But the disciples didn't understand that. They didn't know you. They didn't care about you. But the Father cared so much for you that he extended this waiting period till the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns so that you could be a part of it. So everything that happens, if you understand that your king is on the throne and he's supremely powerful, then it ultimately happens for you even when you don't fully understand it. There's a song that we sing sometimes, when I trust you, I don't need to understand. That's one of the hardest of things for many of us is to trust the king on the throne, that everything that happens ultimately happens for us. Then the third thing is the ascended Christ is your absolute guarantee that you are forgiven, that you're truly accepted by the Father, and that actually the delight of the Father is in you now. Because Jesus is the delight of the Father. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. Therefore, the delight of the Father is in you. And you have an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. You never are without an advocate at the very throne of God, interceding, the scripture says, constantly for you. Here's Keller again. He says, so when the Bible says that Jesus stands as our advocate and representative before the throne of the universe, it is a way to say that he is ascended, not just levitated. It doesn't matter what you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter how flawed and foolish you are. When the eyes of God the Father look at you, they see the ascended Christ. When they listen to you, they hear Jesus. When God looks and listens to you, he sees and hears. You got to get this. Keller's totally right. When God looks and listens to you, he sees and hears infinite beauty because he's seeing and hearing Christ in you and you in Christ. He sees Jesus not sitting at the right hand, but standing on your behalf, advocating for you. See, Throughout the ages, Christians have believed this and put it into the creed. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he will return to judge the living and the dead. Jesus went back to heaven, but one day will return as the conquering king. 
Even in John 14, he, he, he's speaking to some very bewildered disciples. And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Thus, our great hope, our blessed hope, the hope of the resurrection of the dead and eternal life in a new heaven and in a new earth is intimately tied to Jesus' ascension. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't just disappear. I go to prepare a place for you. And, and, and if I go, I will come again and I will take you with me. John Calvin was one of the great reformers Uh, He summarized this good news in this way. Listen to what he says. The Lord, by his ascension into heaven, has opened up the access to the heavenly kingdom, which Adam had shut. For having entered it in our flesh, as it were in our name, it follows that we are now in a manner seated in heavenly places, not entertaining a mere hope of heaven, but possessing it in our covenantal head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me put it a different way. Because you are in Christ, you are already in one sense, you are already in heaven. And because Christ is in you, heaven is already in you. Now, I, you've got to understand, our tendency is to think of heaven as a geographical space or to think of it in terms of, the same kind of time as we are. But Jesus has left this realm, this space, and is no longer limited by the same limitations that you and I are limited by. And he's no longer limited by the time that you and I are limited by. And so right now, heaven is in our heart. And right now, our hearts are in heaven because our heart is in Christ. Man, it's an amazing reality because he's, because Jesus possesses you and Jesus possesses heaven you now possess him and you possess heaven that's that's what the ascension means for us we're not speaking of geography or time as we know it but united to Christ where he is there you are and where you are there he is He has bound his life to yours, and your life is bound to his. Keller puts it this way, Jesus' ascension doesn't mean the loss of his intimacy, his leadership, or his advocacy. It means the magnification and availability of his intimacy, his leadership, and his advocacy. That all of those things that make relationship with Jesus so special are magnified, enhanced by his ascension, not diminished. I love this statement. He, the Lord Jesus, from his glorified leadership, his glorified humanity, he is fully human as well as fully God. He controls all things for the church Therefore, you can face the world with peace in your heart. He's at the right hand of God as the director of history, directing everything for the benefit of his church. If you belong to him, then everything that happens ultimately happens for you, not just against you. 
at his ascension, our Lord entered heaven and he keeps the door open for humanity to enter in. What an awesome, beautiful thing as we, as we learn in these 40 days to praise Jesus, to glorify Jesus, that we begin to see just what is ours, what we possess. Heaven is in you even now. And even now, because Christ is at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand, advocating for you, it's as if you were in heaven right now. That doesn't mean your circumstances are easy. It just means that you have a completely different stream of resources than just what this earth can provide. He went to heaven in order to leave the door open for humanity to enter in. God bless you.